0: Every
1: Arizona homeowner's best friend Come on around back Arizona Saturday morning, 8 o'clock Here at Rosie on the House Your Saturday morning tradition since 1988 Already the fourth Saturday of the month If you're following along In your Rosie on the House homeowner handbook And calendar You know we're talking urban farming today In the Outdoor Living Hour And Farmer Greg joining us great conversation about getting composted it is the fall time it is beautiful out this morning uh and it's it is
0: planting season it is planting season for a whole lot of things the the cool thing about arizona is we can grow throughout the winter and i usually tell people to skip growing in july august and september and plant in october for the year And we are coming up on October here in just
1: a week and a half. So anything you start composting today isn't really going to be ready for uh, this planting season right away. But a couple weeks, you might have some supplements to add throughout the the rest of the year. Because you were saying,
0: Greg, you can grow all year long, which also means you can plant all year long. Yeah, exactly. And typically, if you're doing composting correctly... And basically what that means is that all of the nitrogen in the stuff you're composting is broken down and you can actually use it. It typically takes upwards of six months to get the compost ripe and ready to go. So, uh, you know, I I wouldn't be using it earlier than that.
1: It's just not ready. And it, it actually hurts your garden and your vegetable and your growing more than help it. If you, if you exactly. put it on too early. So we'll get to knowing when it's right to move it into your planting beds. But uh, we got a lot of work to do before we get there. Yes,
0: we do. And th- the first thing I want to distinguish is this, this notion that I call regenerative composting. And basically what that means is that you set up a system at your house that takes your food scraps compost them into healthy soil you take that compost you put it in your garden and grow food you harvest the food take it inside clean it up you have food scraps that go back into the compost bin see the circular nature of that
1: regenerative
0: yeah that's 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 from my permaculture work over the past 30 plus years And I'm a big, big big fan of making sure that we're doing that as much as possible in our space. And when I was at the urban farm and I'm working on systems like that here, I actually composted in multiple ways. People, when they think composting, they're thinking thermophilic composting. I know that's a big word, but it means hot composting. The whole point of hot composting is to put the right amount of greens and the right amount of Browns in a very big pile, get them to heat up. And it's the microbes in the compost that's having them heat up. And those microbes are breaking down all of the stuff in there. They're breaking down the carbons in your Browns and the nitrogen in your greens and making it into a soil rich additive. Now, That is a really complicated process to do composting properly. And so I always tell people that if you're going to do hot composting or thermophilic composting, you'll want to do that as a last step. What I used to do at the urban farm was bring in the food scraps. And I was actually collecting food scraps by the bucket load from duck and decanter, the restaurant near 16th (laughs) street. And, and I'd get, Five to Which ten. Which blows my in.
1: mind. I, I don't. I've never been there and had any leftovers, and I'm not a big eater. You have never had a nooner? I've never had leftovers.
0: Oh, oh. Okay. Where, where oh, are right. these fruit
1: scraps coming <laughs> from?
0: <laughs> well, so so the the compostables that I'm getting from there is actually uh, pre-consumer. So the ends of the lettuce and that kind of stuff, coffee grounds, and so what I used to do is I used to pick those up. I used to save our kitchen scraps. And the simplest thing for me to do when I was there was just feed as much of it as I could to the chickens. So for me at the urban farm, level one composting was kitchen scraps going to the chickens. And then what they do is they consume what they consume and what comes out of their other end was eggs and manure. And so that manure gets used in the yard to grow groceries. Second thing I did at the Urban Farm was worm composting. Uh, they call it vermicomposting. There we go, worm composting, where you're actually setting up a bin and feeding the food scraps to the worms. And over the course of three or four months, they're breaking it down into really healthy, well, what we call gardener's gold <laughs> in the gardening industry. It is amazing. Worm composting or worm castings is the best of the best of your stuff for the garden. So that was the second thing that I did at the urban farm. And then the third thing that I did at the urban farm was uh, something called soldier flies and black soldier flies, basically eat twice their weight in food waste every day. And there's these little grubs and then the grubs get fed to the chickens. Uh, And then the fourth thing, the last thing that I did at the urban farm was actually traditional composting. Now, it may seem like a lot, and you don't have to do it all. Pick one. And if you don't have any of those resources to do any of that, there's a really super simple thing you can do called pit composting. And for the first month that I was here at our new homestead in Asheville, I would take my food scraps out every other day. I would dig a hole in the garden area. I would dump the stuff in and cover it up that is actually the simplest way to compost
1: so you said pit I'm picturing like digging this big hole but oh no you're taking it every other day and dump, so you, this is like hole composting versus yeah, exactly. a big pit so you dig a hole you put your food scrap in you cover the hole how long does it, I, I would think that would bring scavengers
0: uh, I wasn't experiencing scavengers here and we're out in rural North Carolina. I wouldn't think in Phoenix, and when I was doing it in Phoenix, I wasn't getting scavengers. If you bury it down, you know, 8, 10 inches, it gets covered up and the worms show up. The worms are the scavengers, actually. They're working their way through it and turning it in, turning it from food scraps to worm food to plant food.
1: Okay, so we got our hole, we put it in, we got 8 inches of dirt on top. How long do you have to let it sit then? Is that still a three... A six-month process before
0: you're, you've got good uh, compostable soil for gardening? Ideally, yes. You know, so pick places in your garden that you can go down a little deeper and uh, put it in and let it sit there. You can plant around it then, no problem, and it's pulling the nitrogen. The compost is actually pulling the nitrogen out of the soil so that your plants can't use it
1: we're taking scraps out every other day so we have a lot of holes in a short period of time are you doing this like in a perimeter around your garden or is this where you plan on planting your future garden next year i would i would do it future garden next year so the simplest way pit composting i had never heard that one uh, Yep. but then you also had the chicken the worm castings and the soldier flies were all other sources that you were using to create this this gardener's gold compost mix
0: yeah exactly and and again it's circular the food scraps come in the front door from the restaurant the food scraps from our kitchen go out the back door and we're making healthy soil and harvesting great food to have more food scraps going down the road and do you have to sort your food scraps i mean i would it was always told, you know,
1: you don't put your any kind of meat in there, but it's it's like vegetable and plant based that you put into the compost.
0: Yes, <laughs> I, you know, we eat a little bit of chicken in the, in the household, and often I will put the chicken bones in the worm bin. Um, it's still breaking down over time. Obviously, the bones don't completely break down. Uh, I'm, I am a big fan of if you're eating it and there's leftovers. Um, you know compost compost it it. that being said if you have a compost pile out back meat scraps will attract the scavengers (laughs) you know the it'll, it'll attract other critters so just know that
1: all right so that's the first step getting uh finding where in your yard you can start to compost and they're actually uh I've seen bins that you can buy that you put your compost in and you just, you know, they're big drums and you turn them every time you go pour a new set of scraps in, then you tumble it, then you pour it in, you tumble it, you pour it in, you tumble it. Have you ever experimented with
0: one of those? I have. Here's the problem with them. In order to effectively hot compost, you need a lot of material. You need about 70% browns, and browns are leaves and sticks and things that are dried up, old dried up grass clippings, uh, straw, that's stuff that is heavily carbon-based. So you need about a a mixture of about 70% that and about 30% greens, and greens is typically your kitchen scraps. And... You need to mix them up effectively. The tumblers help us do that, get them mixed up effectively. And what I found with a lot of the tumblers is there's just not enough space in there to effectively hot compost. When I was hot composting at the urban farm, I was using a cube four feet by four feet by four feet. And what I did was I got some old pallets and I mixed the leaves from the neighbors, I mixed the old, um, the old uh, grass clippings, along with the food waste from the restaurant. And, you know, again, 70, 30, and that actually was an effective way to compost. But that takes a lot of materials.
1: Fruits and vegetables and table scraps, peels, pits, and pasta, and old tea bags that's Coffee grounds and wilted flowers compostable bags, In our Outdoor Living Hour with Farmer Greg talking urban farming and in particular today the topic of composting And uh, we covered a lot of uh, you know, kind of an overview but we're going to dive a little deeper into each one of those uh, items uh, starting with the chickens because that it, you can't have an urban farm without having a chicken in fact you shouldn't even have a yard without having a chicken at, at Amen to that!
0: Absolutely. I am a bit I've said that for years that if you have a yard you should have some chickens in your backyard. Now, you need to keep them safe. Uh we had an incident at the Urban Farm near 16th Street in Bethany Home about uh, 10 years ago where bobcats came in and killed our chickens right in the middle of the city. So if you are going to have chickens, you need to build a predator-proof coop for them to make sure that the predators, you know, keep away. That's number 1. Uh, Number two, chickens uh, make great pets. They, uh, if you raise, you can hand raise them. You know, hand feed them and raise them, and they just love you. Yes. Now I have seen where there's
1: actually chicken diapers for people that bring them inside. You guys weren't that quite pet friendly, were you?
0: (laughs) Oh no 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 no. That's that's a bit. Yeah. No,
1: that's not us. (laughs) I didn't think it was real when I first saw it, but no, no, seriously, yeah, you can you can order a
0: chicken diaper if you want to bring your chicken inside. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So uh, chickens are great for your yard. And I, I have been studying this notion of permaculture. I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature, working in the flow of nature. And one of the first things they bring up in the permaculture design course is this notion of stacking functions. Stacking functions are having an asset like a chicken that does multiple things for you we're talking composting today, and that chicken is a perfect composter. You wouldn't, you'd be surprised, maybe you wouldn't be surprised at how much kitchen scraps they will actually eat. So the first thing they'll do for us in this whole notion of stacking functions in permaculture is they eat kitchen scraps for you. They also will eat bugs, they will eat weeds. So if you want to invite them into your garden, Once or twice a year, they will clean the bugs out and clean the weeds out. And uh, in our case, we have laying hens. So they're laying eggs for us every day. Uh, Now, in the past, I did raise meat birds. Uh, I'm not quite a vegetarian. I still eat poultry. And so about eight, nine years ago, I decided I was going to raise some meat birds and uh, in my backyard, and I did that, and that was an interesting experience. Uh, it really had me appreciate the value of an organic chicken. <laughs> <laughs> now, were these yeah. like the, the Cornish cross breed that grow really fast, really quick? Yeah, eight weeks, and they're from they're from a small chick to plate in eight weeks. And you have to
1: harvest because they. Get so big they can't continue to survive past that because they can't physically hold themselves up.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So there's, you know, there was, and I'd never butchered a chicken before. So um, I actually got with Mark Tarbell on uh, butchering and, you know, Tarbell's restaurant. Okay. I got him coaching me on gotcha. how to uh, butcher them and prepare them. And so that was an interesting process. Uh, that's part of my experimenting that I do of all things, urban farming.
1: All right. And, so, and the reason it's a different breed is because a, you're laying chickens they don't start laying till about six months, and they'll lay exactly. for two or three years consistently. Now, people have said you know they, they'll still keep laying up to eight, nine, ten, twelve years, but it's not a consistency. Their consistent production is in the first years of their life. Well, still even at the end of that, you know, year three or four they don't have a lot of meat on them.
0: <laughs> oh no, not <laughs> at all. They've
1: spent a lot of energy laying those eggs and that, you know, the, we're, the chickens that provide the eggs and the chickens that provide the meat aren't the same.
0: Exactly, in fact, I had an interesting experience. The day I was butchering the uh, meat birds at the urban farms, I had one of my laying hens that was an older laying hen that went lame and she couldn't walk anymore. So I blessed her. <laughs> and thanked her for all the eggs that she had given us and uh, cleaned her up. And while the breasts on the meat birds were like you'd see in the grocery store, the breasts on the laying hens were about the size of a quarter. <laughs> yeah. So there, there wasn't
1: a whole lot of meat on them. They, they spend a lot of energy producing those those eggs. They don't have yeah. enough to put meat on their, uh, on their bones as well. So there's, there's two very distinct types there. And... For composting purposes, you want the laying chickens because they do have a, a much longer lifespan. These meat ones, like Greg was saying, your, your, your turnovers every eight weeks. Uh, you exactly. want something that is a,
0: uh, you know, a, a fixture of your home for a lot of years. Exactly. When well, we had hens that were eight, 10 years old at the urban farm when we were there, the thing about hens, uh, a couple of myths, uh, you need a rooster to get eggs, you don't. Uh, uh, hen will lay eggs no matter what. They're just not fertilized eggs. Uh, and, um, the other, the other myth that I get a lot about, about chickens is, uh, rooster crows at sunrise. (laughs) Roosters crow 24 seven. So just skip the rooster. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
1: And a lot of city coordinates don't allow you to even have roosters, but most of them will allow you to have chickens. Even the ones that didn't, uh, like Gilbert and, uh. They've, Chandler. Chandler. I heard Chandler that rule.
0: just got thumbs up for chickens.
1: And I, and I think Glendale is close or already has uh, switched as well. Which was as big of a farming community as Glendale was. That that blew my mind. That was even a uh, regulation there. But uh, right? ju- just about everywhere now you can have chickens. But you do have to check on the roosters if you do want to try and you know hatch and grow your own chickens, which is. A huge process. You do that and you're like, yeah, I'll just go buy the pullets for two bucks a pop. <laughs> right,
0: exactly. Exactly. All right. Think I'll feed my worms. Apple cores, banana peels, eggshells, and carrot peels. See how they wiggle and squirm. I'll Halfway through the hour
1: the here with Farmer Greg talking about composting and, and uh, where are we going to go from here? I know we've spent a lot of time on chickens, but we, we really could talk hours on chickens and the different types of breeds and the strategies and you know we've got our strategy is because it takes six months to lay every six months we get another half dozen so we can tell how old uh the chickens are and so we know which ones are still laying and which ones aren't the ones that are past the point of laying we just turn them out to the orchard and they free range the rest of the property the ones that are still laying we keep them uh inside of another pen because the dogs eat the eggs if you if they lay out and out, outside of <laughs> them.
0: So here's the thing about chicken eggs and laying hens. At first, after six months, you get a smaller egg and an egg about every 32 hours. The older they get, you get eggs less often, but they get bigger. So just so you know, we had some chickens at the urban farm that were still laying at five and six years old, which they can do if you give them, you know, good food and a nice living space, they'll still lay that long. They just don't lay as frequently as exactly as the top producers. And
1: you said 32 hours. I, th- I thought like every 24 hours in their prime is what you can expect
0: from a chicken. I've always heard more like 32, 32. but six eggs a week is what they generally say out of a new laying hen. Okay, And, and so we're talking composting here. I know I got off on a tangent <laughs> a little bit about chickens because they're the best way to compost composting the chicken manure. So there's a couple of things that is really super simple that you can do with that. First of all, if you are doing traditional thermophilic composting, you just add it to that. It is a really strong green, got a lot of nitrogen in it. It'll really jumpstart your composting process. So what I used to do with the urban farm is I'd go in and I'd rake up the manure and any food scraps that are left over and uh, transport it to the composting area which by the way, was in the chicken area. So any bugs that showed up in the compost area, the chickens would munch on. Or the other thing that you can do with the chicken manure and and leftover food scraps is use it in your basin around the fruit trees. For those of you that have uh, listened to me talk about fruit trees, you know that I have a rule, it's called my six six rule, six foot diameter basin, six inches of woody mulch around all of your fruit trees. And this builds really healthy soil underneath your fruit tree. So a simple way of composting the chicken manure is you just lay it over the top of the woody mulch in your basins around your tree. And it helps break down the woody mulch. Any nitrogen that hits the uh, soil underneath helps your fruit tree. So if you don't want to do traditional composting, you just want to have chickens, you can scrape that up and put it around the basins of your trees.
1: And you don't need to do anything extra on that, just spread it out with a, you know, whatever garden tool you're using. I don't need to do any kind of composting or heat treatment or mix it nope. up for a certain amount of time, just let it go right on top and let the yeah. decomposition process run its course.
0: Exactly, exactly, it is, it is really that simple. Um, now, if you have dogs, and you're putting it in the dog space around your fruit trees, you got to know that the dogs are going to love it, roll in it, probably (laughs) eat it. So uh, one thing you can do, uh, I call it my wedge process, where you take a sharpshooter shovel, or really any shovel, but I like the sharpshooter shovel. That is a, it's like a six inch wide shovel and 18 inches long, and you just drive it Underneath the tree in the ground, maybe three feet, two feet, two to three feet away from the trunk of the tree, run the shovel back and forth. It creates a wedge in the ground. You pour your fertilizer or manure down in there and then cover it up, and then water it in really well. So that's that's to keep the dogs and any other critters away from it if you have them. And, you know, one thing we
1: use to keep the dogs from digging, now, this wouldn't work necessarily with the the chicken compost because they could still get to it on top, but to keep dogs from digging around our tree basins, um, I'll actually go out and put chicken wire down on the ground. Oh, And then nice. they can't scratch through that, and they get irritated by it, so they, they go do their digging elsewhere. And, you know, over the time and just adding compost on top, you know, that just kind of eventually rusts out in the ground, but it'll keep the dogs from from digging around from your tree basins. Yeah.
0: So that's another way to use the chicken food, with a food waste that gets processed through the chickens, <laughs> gets turned into this nitrogen-rich fertilizer. By the way, our friends over at Hickman's Eggs make a nitrogen-rich uh, chicken manure fertilizer that you can use for your garden. Um, and it's the same stuff that you're pulling out of your chicken coop. It's got to come out. So, <laughs> you got to do yeah. something with it.
1: <laughs> okay, so I, I know we had mentioned we were just going to go quick on chickens. Was there any final points before we get on to diving a little deeper into the, you know, building a worm casting bin? I think we're good. We got chicken manure. We're going to jump to worm manure. And we actually have a great podcast with Farmer Greg from last summer with AZ Worm Farm. Uh, that yes. you can even dive into deeper. But that was, uh, I can't Zach remember Brooks exactly Arizona worm farms. how he said it, but he's like, it's the
0: smartest creature without a brain. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Yep, that is the case. The worms are amazing. So
1: it's not just any worm here. This isn't what you're going fishing with, with Grandpa. Are,
0: are, are all worms created equal? Um. All worms are created differently. (laughs) Let's put it that way. And um, these are actually composting worms. And the cool thing is, is that Arizona Worm Farm does a worm bin class. You can actually go take a class on worm composting there. And as part of the class, they will send you home with a set-up worm bin. And the cool thing about worm bins is that you can absolutely keep them inside. You know, <laughs> okay. keep them uh, in a closet. You keep the lid on it. Uh, the worms stay in the bin uh, as long as you, it's not too wet in there. And, you know, they cover how to make sure that it's not too wet in their classes.
1: Now, just for the record, because you can, doesn't mean I'm going to do it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, the, thing I about, would prob- the thing I don't about think I could talk in Amanda into...
0: And the worms inside the house. <laughs> there you go. The thing about worms in the desert is the summer heat. Okay. So you have to do something for them in the summer. You can't really keep them outdoors in the summer. Uh, some of the some of the things that people have done to keep worms outdoors in the summer are you actually dig a hole and bury the bin in the hole. So that the soil around it, the worm bin now is at ground level. The soil around it is uh, the insulator for your worm bin. Okay. Um, what I used to do at the urban farm, and this isn't this isn't the best thing to do, but it worked. Uh, <laughs> I had what was called a flow-through worm bin. Okay. Flow-through. Flow through, basically what a flow through worm bin does is that you uh, start it out, you put some cardboard on the bottom. Uh, mine had a an old oven screen, you know, the from uh, an oven shelf. That's what I put on the bottom of my worm bin. So flow through means that eventually those worm castings are gonna fall out of the bottom. So you're adding the food scraps on top along with some shredded up cardboard. The worms are working their way up the worm bin. And in six months or so, you're gonna knock the worm castings out of the bottom. Does that make sense? It it does. Okay. And so what I was doing in Phoenix in the summertime is I'd freeze a gallon jug of water and I would put it on top of the worm bin to provide them coolness during the day. And my flow through worm bin was two foot by three foot by three foot tall and it stood three foot off the ground so that I could knock the worm castings out of the bottom. And that, that frozen water jug every day kept the kept it cool enough that they could survive the summer.
1: And were they in the shade as well or any direct sunlight?
0: None whatsoever. You want to keep them in the shade all of the time. Both of my worm bins, I used to have uh, an old uh, bathtub that I used raised worms in and my flow-through bin. They were uh, on the north side of the building in in the shade all of the time. So what you're doing is you're adding the food scraps on top of the worm bin. And then uh, our friends over at uh, Arizona Worm Farm, Zach told me one day, he said, Greg, use shredded cardboard. So we all have tons of cardboard from boxes that we've gotten and I just bought a uh, paper shredder that takes up to 12 sheets of paper. So that means it'll take cardboard and I just shred the cardboard from all my Amazon boxes. And I use that as the browns in my worm bin. So what I'm doing, and I just did this this morning. I took our big bucket of uh, food scraps. We've been getting watermelons and other kinds of melons and that kind of stuff. And I took all the rinds and that kind of stuff. I dumped it in my worm bin. I added um, I added, shredded up cardboard on top. And what happens is, is again, over the course of the next month or so, the worms work their way up through the uh, food scraps and uh, and shredded cardboard and poop out this amazing fertilizer for your garden.
1: And you had called it gardener's gold before. Uh, yep. I know, um, and, and that's something that's a lot more realistic. I, I, what's your opinion on worms versus bats? Because I've heard people arguing which one is better. The difference is most of us can get create the worm farms, uh, bat habitats, uh, that, that, that's a lot harder to recreate in the desert.
0: <laughs> yeah. I would, uh, go harvest uh, wild bat guano if you could find it or buy it or just raise worms. They're easier. <laughs> worms
1: are easier. Yeah. Now, how, how many worms are in this box that you're talking about? You know, you're talking about three by three by two. How, how many total
0: worms can that, uh, su- sustain? That's a great question. And what I found with with my worm bin in Phoenix and my new worm bin that I have here from Urban Worm Company. This is an amazing worm bin, I'll tell you about in a minute. You start with a pound of worms. That's a could be around a thousand worms. Start with a pound of worms and put them in there and get the bin started. And they just produced to the maximum capacity of worms in the bin. So you don't have to manage that. They'll self-regulate. They definitely self-regulate. Smartest creature without a brain. Farmer Greg, we
1: have one final segment right after this. All right, down to our final segment of composting and the real importance with it is what it brings to your soil. You said something in the past Greg when we've been talking soil about the natural minerals in the Arizona desert's like less than 2%, well we can't grow our vegetables. We can't feed ourselves on that. So we have to create the yeah. soil to do it and a lot of times, you know, when you're thinking you're a gardener or you're a uh, you know, a, a orchard grower or something, you know, what we really are are soil creators you you create the soil the plants do the rest of it but if you don't create that soil for them you know you, you can plant as many seeds as you want plant as many trees as you want and good you know, luck you're, you're gonna be really you still be really hungry <laughs>
0: yeah yeah good luck with that if they're, if you're just planting it in the dirt so there's five components of healthy soil i say this as many times as i can on your show to get people to know it because it's the most important thing five components of healthy soil dirt airspace water organic matter and everything that's alive in the soil if you have dirt in your yard the quickest fix is to add lots of organic matter so that'll that'll fix your garden i uh, i do, do want to say one more thing real quick urbanwormcompany.com I stumbled across them about six, eight months ago. They have the most amazing worm composting bin I have ever seen. It is funnel-shaped, and you put the the worms and the food scraps on top and keep feeding them on top. It's about two and a half feet tall. And once every six months, I go and open the bottom funnel, and I knock out the worm castings out of the bottom. (laughs) It is that simple. And so if you go to urbanwormcompany.com and use Urban Farm, uh, they'll give you 10% off. Well, that's very cool.
1: And this is, I'm looking at their website right now. Um, they're not going to sell you the worms as well, correct? You, is it they, just the they bin? They do have worms. I, I've, I've had chickens that have been delivered through mail. They will deliver worms
0: through mail too? Yep, they'll deliver worms through <laughs> mail. Although if you're going to get the worm bag, the urban worm bag, and then go see our friends at Arizona Worm Farm and sell them Rosie and uh, urban Farm sent you and get your worms from them. They're local worms. Well, and that was
1: one point I was gonna make about the chickens. Our best success with chickens was when we got them from hatcheries in New Mexico. The ones that came from Iowa or Pennsylvania mm. didn't survive nearly as well. So you can get your get, there's local places you can get the the worms for your own casting and then you know this urban urban worm
0: Yep. Uh, has your, has the funnel yeah. composter. Pretty cool. Yeah. I highly, highly recommend that if you're going to do worm composting, go there. So let's real quickly talk about black soldier flies. You've A black soldier fly is, uh, looks like a wasp. It's a little black thing and they fly around. They're harmless. Usually if you see them, they're on the backside of leaves and they lay their eggs in rotting substances, rotting food, um, I noticed, you know, that little scooper thing that I use to clean up the dog, dog poop in my backyard. If I let the uh, dog poop stick too long in there, the, uh, the black shoulder flies lay their eggs in there. So they anything that's, that's old and rotting, they lay their eggs in and they eat twice their body weight in food scraps every day. So they're heavy consumers. The cool thing about them is they pretty much self-propagate and they are 20% protein. If you have chickens, they make a great supplement to your chicken feed. And then the stuff that's left over with the black soldier flies, uh, they call it, they don't call it worm castings or black soldier fly castings, there's a different name (laughs) for it, but it's also a good fertilizer for your garden.
1: And I would imagine of all the three that we've talked about, fertilizer-wise, composting-wise that coming out of animals. We've got the chickens, or the worm castings, and the soldier flies. You would need a whole heck of a lot of soldier flies to create any kind of significant
0: material for, for your compost. composting. Yeah, yeah. The, the soldier flies are the hardest. Um, the reason I like them is because they make such a nice protein treat for the chickens. Okay. So, um, so that's the... Way different ways I've experimented with composting. Let's talk really quick about thermophilic composting. If you're set on doing a thermophilic composting bin, here's what you need, four pallets. This is the simplest way to do it and you can get pallets most places anymore. They'll give them to you for free because they're trying to get rid of them. You stand them up into a cube shape. Um, You lay straw leaves uh, on the bottom. And then you start laying your your brown your greens on top of that, and then put some more straw and hay and leaves on top of that. The thing about thermophilic composting is you need a lot of materials. I said that earlier in the show. Basically, what that means, if you have a cube that's four by four by four, that's 64 cubic feet of material that you need. So, if you're going to compost like that over the course of the next six months, you're going to need to come up with 75 to 100 cubic feet of materials for your compost bin. So that it's it's just, thermophilic composting to do it right is challenging, so.
1: And when you were talking about pallets, I have seen something, you might have to be careful on the type of pallet, because they might be sprayed with uh, treatments or yes. uh, you know, anti-flame that you don't want that leaching into your soil.
0: Yeah, you need to start paying attention to what's what the, pallets have been treated with. You never want to use them for gardens. I've seen on Pinterest and stuff they use them for gardens. You don't ever want to do that because of the chemicals that are in them. So composting,
1: you've can you you've kind of diluted the process a little bit from composting because yeah. then you're not gardening out of your compost bin. You're moving it to your garden bed.
0: That's, that's always been my contention. All
1: right, Farmer Greg, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us talking composting and hopefully that has uh, given you the uh, a good frame of reference and a little bit encouragement to get out there and, and start growing your own. Farmer Greg, uh, your website?
0: Urbanfarm.org and the uh, the uh, Urban Farm Nursery is open today and next weekend if you want to come down and see us for fruit tree supplies. And where is that? That is at 4549 North 7th Street. Check out fruittrees.org for more information.
1: And next month, we'll be talking saving those seeds. We've got the Great yes. American Seed Up coming up. Yes, yes, thank you.